You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Um, but my name is Brittany Moore. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here. And we're excited because we're kind of transitioning what we're going to do for the next couple weeks. If you've been with us before today, you know that we are working our way through the entire Bible, cover to ho- cover, going through each of the books, Old Testament. We went really intense, started with Genesis, and are just kind of working our way right through. And we decided over the summer, knowing that there's lots of people traveling, I mean like half of our family's missing today, um, that we didn't want to miss out on going through that series and all getting really good stuff out of it. So we're going to do some more topical messages over the summer, but they're specifically going to be focused on who we are as a people or the culture that we're looking to cultivate here at Spindle City Vineyard. And this isn't arbitrary. We weren't just like sitting down one day and thinking, what do we want to be like? We really looked at the character of Jesus and said, what do we see him doing? What kind of culture existed among the disciples, the early church? What do we want to be embodying as a people today? And so each week for the next eight weeks or so, different members of the leadership team are going to get up and share. Um, Joe Naylor is going to speak next week. We've got Dan and Susanna, Imani's on deck. Like, There's just a, a group of people that are going to share different parts of our heart and what we're looking to build here. And I get to kick off with a really easy, lighthearted, happy summertime topic. Today, we are going to talk about conflict. Everyone's like, yeah, conflict, it's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I mean, coming out of 2020, we're all struggling with conflict. So like, don't even play that you're sitting here and you're like, I am at peace with the world. This is not true. Um, but how many of you actually like, and, and personality-wise, this is really telling. Like, there's nothing wrong with you if you hate conflict. But how many of us, because of either personality or what we've gone through in the past, really hate conflict and will do anything we can to avoid it? Yeah, like about half. And if you're Johanna or Tim, my husband, who's at home with our sick child today, um, they are like Enneagram 8, which you may or may not ascribe to any part of the Enneagram. But Eights tend to be a little bit better where they don't like love conflict, but they'll deal with it um, and they'll deal with it pretty quickly. So, so it's not a bad thing if you hate it. Um, I think it's a really uncomfortable thing. Like what are the, some of the reasons why we don't tend to like conflict, historically speaking? Your response, sure. Okay, yeah, you have a hard time like, yeah, being whatever, all the things of Jesus in it, grace, the reactions. What else? Why else don't we like conflict? It's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's so fun. Nothing else. Everybody's like, I'm okay with it. I think it's anxious. It brings up painful memories for me. Um, I'm not a person that really loves conflict, but I tend to have a hard time disassociating my past conflict from current ones, which is an an uncommon thing. Um, Whatever your storyline with conflict, sorry, online people, this seems like I should probably move that over so I have more space to move freely. Whatever your storyline with conflict, it's really easy for it to be labeled as bad in our society because it's associated with negative emotions. And emotions are never bad. Remember, we've talked about this a lot in our church. Emotions are a gift from God that are used as almost like a temperature gauge to help us point in the direction of the Father. So if I'm feeling angry, it's not bad that I'm angry. It's God wanting to speak to me in the middle of that anger or that fear or that joy. Um, And so with conflict, if we have a really challenging view of our emotions and we try to disassociate from them, then when conflict comes up and it is such a challenging thing that we may disassociate from conflict as well. And the trouble with that 
is that the avoidance of conflict is actually worse than conflict itself. The avoidance of conflict is actually what opens the door for really deep relational division. It tends to be what opens the door for factions in churches or in families or in other areas of life where we have lots of people, which is everything. And it also is a gateway for demonic oppression. So if, if there is unresolved conflict in our lives, it really is opening the door for the enemy to come in and try and create a stronghold um, where a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of malice, a spirit of anger can actually start to attach to you and try and oppress you because there's this unresolved thing that's going on. And so what I'd like to do this morning is actually look at Jesus's text in Matthew, two of them, that have nothing to exactly do with conflict, but sort of. Um, it's the two times, the only times in the Gospels where he directly references the church, which you'd think Jesus would talk about that a lot, but he actually doesn't. So we're going to look at both of those and on God's perspective on relationships. And it's my hope this morning that even if conflict is difficult for us, which it probably is for everyone, that it won't be something we run away from. That it'll be something where our perspective is shifted to align with the kingdom of God and we will say, I don't have to enjoy this but I also see this as a deeply important moment to move towards unity. And so I will lean into it whenever it comes up. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your wisdom and your revelation and your presence. I just pray that we'd be, you are here, and I pray that we'd be aware of your presence in this space. And we would really sense you moving us through the word and speaking to us, even as I'm sharing the things you've put on my heart this week, um, God, that you would personalize each bit. In Jesus' name, amen. There will be text behind me. <clears throat> I have a lot of references as well that I will share, so if you are somebody that wants to look into this more, there's a lot in the New Testament in particular about conflict, forgiveness, relationships. Can't touch it all today. So if you want to look into it, happy to give you my references and also would encourage you to just grab a concordance and dig some more. But starting in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, I'm going to read from the NLT predominantly today. Um, Jesus comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, so there's a name change, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever things, literally the, the word whatever there is translated as things, so whatever things you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever things you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So this is like one of the weirdest verses that Jesus, no, it's not one of the weirdest, but it's one of the more confusing ones that Jesus writes. We're like permitting, releasing, I don't really understand that. So let's dig into the text a bit. First, we have this dialogue. It's Jesus and his disciples, and what he's doing is he's asking them, who does everybody think I am? Like, what are you hearing on the street? What's the, what's the conversation? I don't know what the cool kids would say these days. What's the sitch? I don't know. But either way, that's what Jesus is asking. He's like, what are they saying about me? And then he turns it on his disciples and says, what do you say about me? Who do you think that I am as you've spent all this time with me? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. 
You are the living one, the savior, the one we've been waiting for. You are king, however you want to phrase it. Peter refers back and he says, Jesus, you are the son of God. And Jesus is amazed in that moment, I think mostly because he's like, this is not a human revelation. Knowing that Jesus is the son of God is something that is opened up to us from heaven itself. It's something that the Lord kind of peels back the blindness of our eyes or even like that hardness of our heart to recognize that Jesus is king. And what comes with that revelation, which ends up being the foundation of the church, just to unpack a little bit of that verse about like Peter and building the church on Peter, that's not something that really makes sense in the context of the way this is written. Later, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, that the revelation that Jesus is king is the foundation of the church. And Jesus is affirming that here. He says, the foundation of the church, the people who love me, is that I am king. And we build everything about ourselves and who we are around that revelation. But when we receive it, just like happens here with Peter, we get a new identity, like we're told in Corinthians. We get a new identity. We're new creations. And we have new destinies because we're actually re connected with who God created us to be, where our gifts and our talents and our personalities are not random things, but we're like, oh, God, you made me to love these things or to be passionate about this or to understand this really well, whether it's art, science, humanities, social work, whatever. And you begin to recognize and through Jesus actually know yourself and know what he created you for. It's one of the most beautiful gifts that Jesus gives us outside of his very self and his blood on the cross. But there's more to it. I think if you've been around any degree of the church for any length of time, you're like, yes, Brittany, I've heard the Corinthians verse. I'm a new creation. Like, I know all of that. But there's a third piece to it that Jesus refers to here that we almost never talk about. And it's this idea of authority or permission that we're given when we understand that Jesus is king. In this phrase in verse 19 where he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid will be forbidden and whatever you permit will be permitted. What Jesus is saying is that when you know that I am king, you have permission from God to release that revelation on earth. That Jesus is king. And it's more than just that revelation. Everything that the Lord downloads to you from heaven, whether that's a gift of healing, whether that's freedom from trauma, whether that's identity, whatever it is, God is putting the keys in your hand to go and give that away on earth. That's part of our destiny. That's part of our legacy is to not just be like, oh, Jesus, you took care of me, but to be equipped to be warriors who pillage hell. So what that means is we go and we find brokenness around us and we're like, hey, I know the answer to that brokenness. It's him. And I have experienced it so I can give it away to you. I can be a conduit because most of us did not follow Jesus just because we like stumbled into a church or across the Bible. Most of us were led there by somebody else who had met him. And they said, hey, I think he might help you the way he helped me. That's what part of our destiny is, is this third piece that we almost never talk about. But there's, okay, so I just want to ask a question before I go. I'm so excited this morning. Oh, what are the things about God's heart that you specifically love to give away? Hugs. Yes, his love, that real love. Kindness. That's great. Generosity. Grace. Unconditional love. I'm looking at Joe Naylor in the back. 
because he finds people who are forgotten by society and advocates and visits and is family. That is a gift that you give away from the heart of the Father, Joe, to the least of these. And he, I mean, I feel like Robin, I could call out your gifts. Robin is so creative. Like she just creates with the heart of the Father and lets us in on that. Advocacy, I know we've got many advocates here. I love that we have different passions and that stuff that you're giving away, that's not generated just like because, just because. You have been gifted by the Father and when you recognize that he is king, he puts keys in your hand and says, go and give this away to the world. And you know that it's the Lord because it has supernatural impact beyond you. You may not always see it, but the reality is you'll get to heaven and you'll watch the spider webs of those little interactions and how down the road people gave their lives to Christ or got freedom or legacies changed because you were giving away heaven, the will of the Father, his very heart to the world. And that is part of who we are. But the next time that Jesus references the church, which is just a few chapters later, there's an additional condition or understanding around how much of his heart we can give away. If we fast forward to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, he's talking about conflict, and he's talking about what it happens with conflict within the church. And I'm, I'm actually not going to read verses 15 to 17 yet, but that's the whole, like, if somebody sins against you, go to them privately. If they don't listen, bring two people. If they still don't listen, bring them to the church, etc. But then right after that, it picks up with that weird verse that we just read. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I tell you this also, if two of you agree on anything, then God will be among your midst, where two or more are gathered, he is there. And so housed within Jesus' only other reference to the church in the New Testament is the same phrase, but there is one key difference. Here, the word whatever is not translated as things, it is, it is translated as a quantity, amount, or extent. So there's a difference. Now he's saying the extent of whatever you forbid on earth will be um, forbidden in heaven, and the extent of whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And so there's clarification to Jesus' first statement. He's saying, you're going to, when you know that I am king, you will get a new destiny, you'll get a new identity, and you will get authority or keys to share God's will on earth. But the amount or extent that you get to share is directly correlated with the way you do relationships within my family. Let me say that again. The amount of God that you can give away to the world, the amount of extent of whatever he has put in your hands is directly related to the way that you do relationships within his family. Relation, or revelation gives us access from heaven, but relationship determines how much of heaven we get. And that's a really hard thing to hear because more often than not, when we mess up, we want to minimize it. When there's conflict, we want to bury it. When there are things that are not working relationally, we're like, let's just pretend this doesn't feel bad. And the reality is God does not look at relationships with such a soft or gentle way. He looks at them and they're extremely serious to him. He says, the biggest factor in you giving my heart away to the world is not how much quiet time you have or how much of the Bible you've memorized or how often you pray. It is how you relate to the church. It's how you relate to my family. 
And so I want you to just look around the room for the, at the look around the room for a moment. I want you to look at your peers. The kids have since gone upstairs, but the kids, when they're running around, if you are here and your spouse is in the room, that person is included. If they're not in the room, Tim, you still matter. <laughs> You're home. But the reality is the way that we relate to the people in the church, including those who are not part of our direct family but are part of the Big C Church, how we relate to them will directly correlate in how much of heaven we can give away. I was just thinking of the song when we were singing, um, I'm not going to remember the title, the dancing on Injustice Stand, that song. Did you feel the mountains tremble? There's a verse in there that gets me every time. It says uh, something of like, do you feel darkness um, or the enemy shudder when all the saints join in one song, when all the streams flow as one river? Like we can't pillage hell. We can't release heaven on earth if we are not in unity. And that doesn't mean fake unity where we're like, oh, there's a conflict. I'm going to pretend everything's okay. It's real unity where we say, I am going to handle this conflict, lean into it, deal with it, because I don't want to block the pipeline that is God's will in my life or in our family, period. And why, why wouldn't relationships be of such high value to God when he himself is relationship, right? He functions as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for him, relationship is just this major conduit of life. He created us not to be these like secondary beings. He said, I want you to be in my family. That's why he created humanity. And, in, and throughout the New Testament, he has time and time again, all these moments where he says, what I've done is bring you back in. Romans 8, 15, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We are sons and daughters of our creator we're not secondary thoughts to him. We are his children. Your picture is on the wall of some room in heaven. God's got the biggest wallet of all time. He's like, look at my kids. You know, it just keeps going and going and going for generations. You are his kid. We don't often live like that because we have a hard time really associating with the magnitude of what that means. But within his family, the collective of people who love him, the church, he says, my family needs to operate differently than the world, especially when it comes to things that would disrupt our unity. We are quite literally called to be so fragrant in our wholeness that people are attracted to us. We see this in Acts chapter 2 with the way that the early church was with their meeting. They were so generous. They were so humble. They were so sacrificial. They were so compassionate that people were added to their numbers day by day because it was so different than how the rest of the world operated. They saw people who were slaves and free, men and women, young and old, functioning as one family, though they had no blood ties who were going and selling the things that they had so nobody had need, and it rocked the early world. And they said, something different is happening here because what the early church was doing through the way they related to one another was putting God on display. The way that you and I interact with one another tells the world what God is like. For just 30 seconds. What picture of God are you showing the world based on how you're doing relationships? with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can just privately think about that one for a minute.
I would say from <clears throat> at least every prayer appointment I've ever been in, in many conversations with many of you who've come out of different traumatic church experiences, not all, but, but a, good a good helping, our picture of God through what we've seen in the church has not always been a real clear picture of his character based on what we find in Christ. And that is a shame because it causes people to disconnect from the goodness and the greatness that is our God. And so he takes it very seriously when he says, you need to relate in a way where you are showing people who I really am. And if you are not going to do that and you're going to present a false picture, then the flow of heaven will be cut off in your midst. And that's not punishment. That's him saying there are consequences if you do not live surrendered to me in all areas. And it's, it's hard. We find this in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, 1 Peter 3. It's not just a matter of unanswered prayers, though that can be one of the outcomes of having relational discord, even marital discord. But it goes even further than that. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine to 30, where the Corinthian church was not taking communion with unity, so like they would get together with their picnic baskets and people who had no food were just going hungry and then you had people getting drunk and like feasting and there was no food unity, if you will. He says, if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Again, this isn't God being ridiculous and punishing. He's saying, this is really important to me. And if you live outside of my good outline for how I want you to relate, you're cutting yourself off from the flow of heaven. And most of us, that's terrifying because we don't want to be outside of the flow of heaven. Right? I want to be close to the heart of the Father. I don't want anything serving as a barricade or barrier to knowing his desires for my heart. And so the reality is that means that we need to be quick and keep short accounts. Conflict is going to happen. There, if you think that that means the church should never have conflict, then no, please do not hear that. In fact, if we read the New Testament, Jesus' own disciples were arguing about who was the best among them. Peter and Paul had beef. They quite literally had a public argument that gets recorded and we get to read about it in Galatians. Like conflict is going to happen within the body of Christ. We're not trying to eliminate conflict. That would be dangerous and that would actually just be burying it. What we need to do is be people who are really good at going towards conflict when it comes up and saying, I want to be quick to handle this because it's a learning moment, not a moment for destruction. And so what we find in the rest of the Matthew 18 verse in 15 to 17 is basically Jesus's outline for what it looks like to go forward and have conflict with someone in a healthy way. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because chances are somebody has probably walked you through this. But in case not, we'll give you a quick summary. Um, but basically what Jesus is saying, um, I broke it into three pieces. You want to reflect, you want to connect, and then you want to release. So the first thing we need to do when conflict comes up is we need to figure out why it hurt, which is means if we're the offended party, it's like, ooh, ouch. I don't like how I was treated. I don't like what was said. That made me uncomfortable. I mean, figure out the slew of what makes you feel conflict. And the thing is we need to distinguish between the issue, why we're offended, and the relationship. This is a key relational difference in how the church handles conflict versus the world. The world handles conflict and very often the relationship is on the table. I don't like what you did to me. I never want to talk to you again. Cancel culture. 
And in the church, that's actually the opposite of what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to say, ooh, I don't like what you did with me. There are certainly consequences to your behavior. I maybe I'm not going to trust you. Maybe we're not going to have the same degree of connection. Maybe there's boundaries in how much time we spend together. But the relationship itself is not on the table because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what happens when we realize that, when we see the issue in the relationship as two different things, is it gives us a boldness to walk into conflict and say, us relating and knowing each other is not the issue at hand. That is safe. That is secure. So we can look at this issue of disrespect, of dishonor, of injustice, whatever, and we can look at that as brothers and sisters and say, this needs to be handled. This is not appropriate in the family of God, so we're going to talk about it. So we have to take this time to reflect on that and make a difference between our personal opinion and feeling about the person and get that settled, that they are your brother or sister. So when you go to the table, it's this is what we need to talk about. And within that reflecting time, there's two pieces to this that may come up. The first might be that if it's a knee-jerk reaction, there's a really good chance that this conflict is probably a previous conflict with somebody else that never got healed. Right? Sometimes we have trauma moments and somebody says something stupid and you're like, ouch, that hurt. But it wasn't even the person. It could have been quite innocuous, but it's just layers of stuff in the past that maybe never got dealt with. In which case, it's not necessarily this person's fault or problem, but they're the most recent person that kind of stepped in that wound. And so there needs to be an opportunity, and there is opportunity, to heal that old conflict by addressing it in the current. At the same time, sometimes people are just mean. And I would hope that that cruelty doesn't truly happen in the church, but the reality is, is that it does. And so we need to be able to recognize that and say there are consequences to bad behavior. We're not going to put abuse or injustice or mistreatment under the rug. That's not honor. That's not safe. We've watched that happen. We're watching the explosions of churches that have done that for decades. That is not honor in the church of God. If somebody does something to you, it needs to be dealt with. You are not called to be a martyr where you just, or a victim even. That's not appropriate. And so we want to come forward and say, hey, that hurt. Because Jesus says through Matthew, he says, the goal is going to be confession and repentance. That's what brings about restoration. And it would be really nice if in the second part, connect, if people would just be like, oh, I hurt you. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to offer, I'm going to repent of what I did wrong and we're going to reconnect. But the reality is how many times has that happened? (laughs) Most of the time, the hurt party has to go about and pursue the healing which is just weird, but it's also biblical. Because what happens when we are still enemies of God is he pursues us. He says, oh, you broke my heart again and again and again, but I love you and I'm going to come and restore the relationship by, through many offerings of you connecting with me. And so the same is true for us. The hurt party very often has to be the one to go about and say, hey, we need to talk about this. This happened, it wasn't okay, and I need to be able to get it off my chest. And the goal is to do it one-on-one. It's to make a meeting, don't spend a lot of time gossiping, don't spend a lot of time dragging it out, because that gives place for bitterness to take a root in you, but instead be like, hey, I need to talk to you. And I can't tell you how many times it's happened. Jen and I are gonna demo one in a couple minutes, um, where I've put my foot in my mouth about something And it's never been malicious, but it doesn't mean it's not painful. And so needing to connect with somebody one-on-one in my office, over a phone call, whatever, in order to clear the air and restore the relationship. If the person, you try to do that and that doesn't work, Jesus says, then bring one or two trusted, spiritually mature people. You're not looking for someone to take sides. 
with you, you're looking for someone who loves both people and wants to see relational healing. That's the goal there. And if the person still doesn't want to repent, and they're still ignoring their sin and how they hurt you, then the goal is to bring it to the whole church body and say, listen, that's not how we treat one another in this family. That's not how we behave. And if you're going to behave like that, then you need to make either, you need to recognize that it's, it's wrong and confess, or it looks like you're not living in surrender to God anymore, in which case you're not actually a part of the family. Because being a part of the family means we are living in surrender to the Lord. This is not grounds for excommunication. I have quite literally seen churches practice that. Don't always understand it. What Jesus is saying is you treat them as a pagan or an outsider. And what are we supposed to do for people who are outside of the church? Love them. It doesn't mean they have the same permissions in the family. They shouldn't be leading, they shouldn't be overseeing people, and they certainly are not like running a small group, but we are still called to love them. We just put healthy boundaries in place until they are willing to surrender to the Lord so that they cannot hurt other people, right? So we're not excommunicating people here. Because what we really want, the goal at any point in conflict, the Lord's goal is restoration through repentance and confession. So the third part is release. We're going to go fairly quickly through that. But this is just this piece of forgiveness, right? So at any point in your conflict, one-on-one, -on -one, a couple with one, the whole church, the goal is for you guys to get to a point in your conflict where you can have, where the offended person can release forgiveness on the other party and say, listen, you hurt me, but you have repented and confessed, and so I'm choosing to forgive you. Forgiveness is not like, oh, that was great. Please, let's do that again. It's that was wrong, but because God has forgiven me, I'm going to choose to forgive you. And we see that verse like over and over and over in the New Testament. One of the clearest ways that we can grow in our connection with the Lord is to forgive the people that have hurt us or have mistreated us. Um, and again, that's not excusing abuse. That's simply saying, I am choosing not to let the abuse continue to rule my life. And so if the person doesn't humble themselves at any point, if at no juncture they're like, I repent and, and confession, and we get to that point where they're like not part of the church family, there's still a need to release that wounding. Otherwise, if you let it live and linger, it will grow into something insidious inside of you. And so this is why forgiveness at the end of the day is still the thing that we need to boil down to within our conflicts where we say, that person hurt me, I don't even have an excuse or an understanding as to why, but God, I release the judgment of that into your hands and I choose to forgive them because I don't want to carry the burden of this offense any longer, which is that exactly what you're doing. I have seen people dealing with crippling things because of pain they've experienced at the hands of other people who've probably long since forgotten about it but their bodies have carried the weight of that offense for years, decades, long, long periods of time. And so the Lord says, if you want that pipeline of health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, to be flowing freely in your life, we need to handle our conflict. And if that person does not want to live in unity with us anymore, then we need to release them through forgiveness so that the pipeline is clear in our life there in God's hands. And we just release them to that. So, do we? Yes. Yeah. I've got, like, eyes today. Everybody's, like, here with me. This is great. I was super excited to talk about this. Jen's going to come up.
We're going to role play for you something that actually happened. Online folks will do our best to stay in this very small square. Oh, Jen's going to use the bass. Bass. Um, so we've had conflict. Jen and I have had conflict before. Um, no, no rock'em sock'em robots yet. <laughs> but she, I was going to, I just Finish. wanted to ask her the most recent way that I offended her. <laughs> what basically what happened that that caused a, a rift in our relationship? How she processed it, and then we'll share kind of what our conversation was basically like. Okay, go. We have not rehearsed this, so no. I'm just winging it is what's happening. Um, So one of the most recent ones, because there's been more than one situation, and that's what happens when you work together and you're completely opposite personalities. Um, I'm an Enneagram 8. Um, It was like right before Mother's Day uh, weekend, and I always do the announcements, and I think Johanna and I were, we just happened to be communicating. She was out of town helping out her family, and she let me know, that she just said something like, hey, if you want, just wanted to run this by you. I'm happy to do this prayer. There was like a little prayer that Brittany wanted um, one of us to do before jumping into the announcements that was just kind of acknowledging Mother's Day and saying, you know, we know Mother's Day is like a hard day. We just want to take a minute. We also want to pray for those of you who are women, all the women, pray for all the things for all the women. And Johanna was just bringing it to my attention and said, you know, oh, um, I'm happy to do this for you if you're not comfortable doing it or you don't want to do it or something like that. And I was like, is she dumb? Does she not remember? Because I Me, have, not Johanna. No, Brittany. <laughs> because uh, this is like a tiny bit of a backstory, but let's just suffice it to say I am, I don't prefer the term adoption. I say I was relinquished at birth. And um, so Mother's Day is an extremely complex holiday for me in addition to the fact that I miscarried twins uh, two years ago-ish. So... Um, when I got that text, I was caught, one, I was completely caught off guard, and two, I had already mentioned before in the past that I was not comfortable praying in front of the congregation, and there was the layer of like, hold on, Brittany knows, Brittany knows my whole backstory and then some. There is no like dirty laundry that I'm hiding in my closet. It's all out there. She knows all about it. So I was like, immediately felt offended. I was hurt. I felt like she didn't take the time to think about my perspective and just sort of like assumed I would do it. And she hadn't asked me and we had just had our, like on Mondays we all have staff meetings. So we had just met, we had just talked about it, but this was something that she must have done after the fact and forgot to tell me. So yeah, I was upset. Yeah. Yeah. So Jen called me, I was working and she was like, hey, I need to talk you through this because I was all those things and basically... Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can share, if you want to share how you got to the point of making the phone call, like that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I think I kind of hashed out a little bit with Johanna, not much. It wasn't like a whole gossip sesh. I was just kind of like, huh, how did that happen? And did she, and and Johanna was like, I'm sure she probably just forgot to run it by you. Like maybe you want to talk to Brittany about it. In other words, please literally take me like out of the middle of this situation. I feel awkward. I'm sweating in places. So, you know, and it did take a minute. And what I did not come to Brittany with it right away. I prayed about it. I took a few minutes. I journaled about it. Yeah, I did. I t- took a couple days. Yeah. And I we actually had left our previous church um, under some some more serious issues. And I 
know that this is a space of safety and a space where the Holy Spirit and Jesus are very present and very real. And so I was just like, okay, I'm not going to go down this same path again. This is a tiny thing. We can overcome it. I can talk to her about it and we will work it out because it's, you know, it's important to me to have resolution and not to sit with this and just pretend like everything is fine when it's not. Yeah. So. And so Jen called me on the phone and shared basically all of that. I mean, I (laughs) can't remember all the details of our conversation, but it was like, I had not intentionally, like there wasn't any malice in my Mm -hmm. asking Jen to do that. And one of the things we talked about was just like, I still, I always want to make space where I know and respect the, where we're all at individually, our spiritual life. Like we're all growing and walking at different points on the ladder. Right. And so leaving the door open for us to be like, hey, I feel like I've experienced healing in that. So there might be a year at some point where Jen's like, I am going to be the one to pray over Mother's Day. But this wasn't it. And so me, the learning thing was like, I'm sorry for A, not talking to you about this sooner because it, anybody that works with me will quickly learn that a lot of things kind of tumble out of my mouth and onto the calendar or whatever. And everybody's nice. like slowly nodding if you're on the team in some way. Um, very, what is that? I don't know. Anyway, so suffice it to say, like, I realized that my failure to really think through that and think through Jen in particular, like, there are consequences to every action, and and there was relational consequences here, and so needing to apologize and still leaving the the door open to say, like, I don't want to box you in at any point where if you decide or you get to a place with the Lord where you want the you want to do those kinds of things. Like, so I just said, what I need to do in the future is we need to talk through that in advance so that I can mm-hmm. see how you're feeling and where you're at. That's the respectful way to just function, period. <laughs> but I hadn't. And so it was really good that Jen didn't let it grow into something like huge, this big offense. But instead, she had the courage to come to me and be like, that hurt. You hurt me. And, I, you know, and for us, like, we need to be able to hear that and not get defensive and be like, oh, I didn't hurt you. It's like, but we do hurt each other. No, Brittany was very humble in her response. I didn't know. No. I, and, and that's, I didn't do it. You know, part of it is just learning, like, we may not realize we hurt someone, and so we may not want to own that we hurt someone, but it's a lot better to, like, actually step in their shoes and have the empathy in that moment to say, I am really sorry. I did not mean to do that. That was not my intention. And, and then to allow the restoration where Jen was like, I forgive you. We have a plan moving forward for how we deal with, like, those kinds of things, how they come up, and, and being able to say, like, we need time. We need a couple weeks. We don't just throw things on the schedule, which we sort of still do, but, um, you know, working on it. Uh, like today, adding, like, no, the notes. But anyhow, yep. all of that to say it's that, fine. you know, this is, this is low level, but it was low level because Jen dealt with it quickly. It could escalate, right? You can see how, like, that kind of offense yep. could take months and years and, and decades off of someone's life, and it could have been handled and... Not everyone you go to is going to respond with humility, but we have to try. Mm -hmm. You are not responsible for the way the other person responds, but you are responsible to get it started and to be able to release them. And also in a gentle way. Like, I wasn't like, hey, Brittany. I was like, just because I love you and because we're friends and also work together, you know, I want, I respect you enough to bring this to you and have this conversation in private and not just like come at her and sure. react she didn't out of anger. type it all on Facebook no. and veil oh. terms. Or text her or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, which I appreciate. Thank you. Right. But we've had conflict where there was a conflict about Sean and something that had happened and it was like you had to come and talk to Tim and I and we did. I remember we were right at the top of the staircase and like. Right. 
Yeah. No, that wasn't even it. Remember? I had said. Yeah, but it was crazy because that moment where you and I talked about Sean, I had, I had made the decision in my head where I was like, I really want to connect with him. And so I started asking Sean to be my special helper. And his behavior, I mean, he, like, he was staying after to clean up. So, like, it was a learning moment for me to just be able to have that, that dialogue with April. I've had conflict with Johanna. I'm not going to look around a room with all the people I've had conflict <laughs> with. I've had conflict with a lot of you. I've had conflict with you and you and but, you. But no. that's not a bad thing because I'm not perfect. And so the fact that you feel comfortable talking to me is really good, but we should also feel comfortable talking to one another because that has to be the attitude with which we relate. This is so important to the Lord, and it's so important therefore, to Spindle City Vineyard. So thank you, Jen. You're welcome. Um, I think that there are probably lots of questions about conflict, like just all those variables, right, that come up. Um, and so we want you to use the QR code that'll pop on the screen at the end of the service. So if you're like, I, but, all the buts, but what this, but what that, but what this. April's going to give me one now. Somebody help me how to use QR code? Oh. <laughs> yes. A April or um, Johanna or J somebody will show you how to use the QR code. Yeah, QR code. The kids these days, right? There it is. You can you can throw up if you have questions about conflict that you're like, but this, Brittany, but this, but this. Let's unpack it, right? Let's talk through it some more. I can email you. We can have a phone call. We can meet up for a cup of coffee. So if you've got questions. Let's do it. But otherwise, let's like roll into some ministry time here because true relational unity is not the absence of conflict. True relational unity is loving one, or one another enough that we handle it head on. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to lean into this because it actually will help us grow. Our conflict, more often than not, is a refinement process for the Lord, where we learn grace, we learn humility, we learn empathy, we give and receive forgiveness. It's an exercise in being like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is exactly what God's calling us into as his kids. Um, so I'm going to give you one to two minutes, or no, I'm going to give you one minute, just one, to just pause and think about the, you know, what we've just talked about. What is one way you can respond or apply today's message quite literally in the next 72 hours? Not like vague, like, oh, I'm going to think about it. But like, I need to call this person by Wednesday. Or I need to make a prayer appointment for forgiveness by Monday. Like, No, I mean, you can. Do you need some? If you want to, I'm not going to say no. But this is how do you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to respond to this. I'm going to have a line of phone calls. I'm going to come into like eight voicemails on Monday. You are my man. And you know what? I kind of figured that would happen. Not necessarily with me all entirely, but like I kind of figured we'd get into the, that. And so, God, I just give grace to the week. I just bless our week to just be full of your presence as we lean into conflict resolution, Lord. All right, let's move into ministry time, friends. If you're new with us, this is when we just respond basically to whatever the Holy Spirit's been saying or doing. If you're like, who is that? That's okay. I'm going to have you stand up just to stretch your legs and because it gets really uncomfortable sitting for long periods of time. And I did hold your attention for longer than Dan's ideal 20 minutes. I still have your sign up here, though. I'm going to passive-aggressively ignore it. No, I'm just kidding. 
Dan's going to be like, we have conflict now. He is. All right. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're just going to hang out and see what he says. Uh, ministry team is around, so we'll just be visible to folks. But Holy Spirit, thank you for just the reality of your heart, which is so much better than ours. God, your ways are so far beyond ours, and thank God for that, because the way we function is often just the cause of more chaos and brokenness in us and others. So Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to just come right now. I feel like there's an early invitation from the spirit right now where if conflict is something your family of origin did not do well, the people that raised you did not do well, and so it's always been a real struggle for you, I just want to bless you right now to begin to disassociate with that and to associate with God's view of conflict. So if that's you, we just bless you to begin to have your perspective shift around conflict. You just begin to, to see it as not something that is relationship ending or is bad, but like maybe there could be real healing here. So Holy Spirit, would you just begin to speak and to move in these folks? Yeah. Yeah, we bless the Lord. More Father. Yeah, we just bless what you're doing, Lord. We just ask for an increase of your spirit right now. Just bless what you're doing.